0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal stripes sweater. Several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. and definitely check out those shows as well. Go to ZibbyOwens.com. Charlie Gibson and Kate Gibson are co-hosts of a podcast called The Bookcase, and I interviewed them about their podcast and also our shared love of reading. Kate previously worked as an executive in public television and as a producer and director for a number of Food Network shows. She is working on a master's degree in library and information sciences. Her father, Charlie Gibson, had been a 35-year veteran of ABC News before his retirement in 2009, working as White House correspondent and congressional correspondent before joining Good Morning America as co-anchor, and he became the permanent anchor of World News in 2006. The two of them co-host the bookcase. The description of that is, are you stuck in a reading rut? The bookcase makes the case for books outside of your usual genre. Wander the aisles of your local bookstore with Kate and Charlie Gibson and meet fascinating characters who will open your appetite to new categories while deepening your hunger for books. This weekly series will journey cover to cover through the literary world, featuring interviews with best-selling authors, tastemakers, and independent bookstore owners. New episodes post every Thursday. Welcome, a big welcome today to Charlie Gibson and Kate Gibson, who are co-hosts of the new podcast, The Bookcase, from ABC Studios, I guess, from ABC in general? From ABC Audio. ABC Audio. Thank you. There's the word I was looking for. So welcome to this special edition of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, where we are featuring another podcast. So I don't want everybody to stop listening to this podcast, but you should also listen to their podcast. welcome tell listeners about the bookcase and why the two of you charlie why you came out of retirement kate how you convinced him to do this and how how why books are so important to you that you felt like this was worth uh investing all your time in now
3: well i'll i'll, I'll go first and then he can talk about how i how i pulled him kicking and screaming out of retirement i'm um, I um I left my job at Twin Cities PBS in September of 2019 um thinking that I would quickly and easily find another job in public television either within the Twin Cities or or nearby and we would relocate and then the bottom dropped out of the entire planet and I had nothing to do so if I if I had to do it again I may have stayed in my job a, a little bit longer but I was home with two kids going completely stir crazy and interviewing Any place that would give me 15, 20 minutes. I was tap dancing as fast as I could. And I was reading everything I could get my hands on because I figured uh, at no other time in my life was I not going to have a job. So I started reading things in my bucket list like Infinite Jest and Bleak House and all of that. And, And it was a big part of how I connected with my dad during the pandemic. And my husband, who's an audio engineer, that's how we met. We worked on diners, drive ins, and dives. And he actually is our producer now said, I have all the equipment and you guys have really oddly compelling conversations about books. Can I tape them and we'll make a podcast? And I think I told him he was crazy for almost a year before he finally talked me into it, whereupon I called my father.
4: Yeah, I think parents, father and child, mother and child, find various ways to connect as the kids are growing up. And other than family matters, I think Kate and I probably talked more about books than we have anything else in our lives. And she's a reader. She's a has always been a voracious reader. And that's always a, a, been a love of mine, reading. And so she calls me and says, let's do a podcast. As I've told the story before, she, I had to call her back and say, what's a podcast? I didn't know. I'm just not of the generation that that, that cast pods, I guess. <laughs> and so I went out and bought a copy of a podcast for dummies. And um, it proved not to be very instructive because there is no cookie cutter way, as I know you have learned, to do a podcast. You just do it. And unfortunately, millions of people are doing it. <laughs> and so I said to Kate, we need to, if you're not working, we need to sell this thing. Well, that it proved to be a, a tougher job than i thought we went up a lot of blind alleys and finally abc audio to, probably to their great regret said they would they would buy it
3: that's uh, a heck of a plug I had, some,
4: I had some previous connection with uh with abc as about seven people in the world remember oh, stop. and um <laughs> so eight, it was eight, eight um, but, it, but it, it certainly was less than 11 and so we're, we were in 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 business once we once abc uh, said they would do it the other thing was in order to stand out to differentiate ourselves i since it was an abc connection and since i was the host of good morning america for 19 years i asked the new executive producer of good morning america would she give us six slots a year to come on and do stories that sort of organically grow out of the podcast uh, but in truth, it's to plug the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I can't I can't lie about that. So so that's what we're doing. I, and I bless your heart for saying it's a new podcast. We've been doing what 16, 17 shows. And it's hard. You do it to be every day. <laughs> I am in awe of your ability to do that because we do one a week. And I'm I'm thinking uh, this is this is nutty on our end. <laughs> and it's nutty times seven.
2: As I told you, I also started doing it once a week and our stories are so similar. It was my husband who got me to do a podcast. I was, I also literally said to a friend, like, what's a podcast and had to go Google, like what to do and where the, I couldn't even find the button on my phone to listen to podcasts. So I am with you on that whole journey. So yeah, I mean, starting slow, maybe, who knows, maybe in four years, you guys will be a daily podcast and you'll be like, wow, Oh, in some I, I
3: ways, I
4: think promise, it's you, true. I promise way. you, if it's a daily podcast, I will be six feet under um, <laughs> I can, we'll quickly. But it's 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 interesting. It's, it's really radio on demand. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And once I had that phrase in my head, it was it was a, a whole lot easier to understand.
3: But I think in some ways, our sort of beginner stance with podcasts in some ways has been advantageous because we have no idea how we're doing nor would we even know how to go about putting together those analytics to figure out how we're doing. So that's very freeing in some ways. In, in In this particular way, I think ignorance is really freeing because we both come from the world of TV and we know that how a podcast does is based on lots of different factors. And so in some ways, I think our not understanding the world has been very relaxing. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Not to burst your bubble, but there are detailed analytics for podcasts.
3: I don't want to know. Okay, I okay. I, mean, I don't want to
4: know. I don't want to know. Want to know. Uh, somebody told us that uh, what percentage of people who are listening have subscribed. Apparently, that's that's something that people who listen to podcasts do. I didn't know. And and that's very high. So our level of engagement is high. Whether a lot of people are listening, we we don't know. But we're having fun. Yeah, and gosh. that's the, that's the point of it. And we have, and I think you've probably come to the same conclusion. We are in the midst of a master class in writing, yes. And we learn so much about how novelists, nonfiction writers. Um, we're going to get into kids' books. We're going to get into biographies. How all these people work, because it's totally different. Again, is there? There's no cookie cutter form of a podcast. So too is there no cookie cutter potter, a cookie cutter way that, that writers go about their craft.
3: Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And I think too, when I, when I was reading, when I was growing up reading, if I read a good book, my, my first reaction when I put the book down is, boy, I would love to sit down and have coffee with the author and find out how their mind works, because I'm always interested in exploring the mind behind a great book. And so now I get to do that. And, and that's awesome. It's my dream job.
2: You sound exactly like me. This is like the craziest thing. It's like watching myself talk. It's great. I'm like, this is what I must sound like to other people when I say the same thing.
3: Do I sound obnoxious? You sound amazing.
2: No, I I share both of your enthusiasm about books, and I loved listening to your interview with Oprah, your opening episode, which was so wonderful. I actually didn't know the whole backstory of how she started the book club, how random a thing it was, that it was just a five-minute thing at the end of her show. And it was her intern, really, who was like, well, we have to just get people to read books. Mm -hmm. Listening to her talk to you about the importance of reading and getting people reading and also the gift of what you're giving someone when you read a good book and love it, and you share that with someone else, and then they read it and love it as this unique connection. Like, I am so behind that 100%. I feel like that all the time.
4: Well, well it's, is- it's, it's interesting. We have one of the things I said to Kate because we both, both of us have an affection for independent bookstores that we love to go into a bookstore and just lose ourselves in the shelves. And so I suggested to Kate that we would affiliate ourselves with 25, 30, 35 independent bookstores around the country. And I spent a fair bit of time on the web looking up what would be interesting bookstores. And, and I was interested in small ones. There, you know, there's some really big ones like uh, Shakespeare and Strand in, in New York and City Lights in Los Angeles and, and uh, Powell's in, in Portland, Oregon. I was interested in the in the little, you know, the, there, there's... We just re- recently talked to a woman who retired as an English teacher and opened an independent bookstore in a town of 616 people. Now that's gutsy. and, and I love talking to those people. So independent bookstores were, were critical to us and, and we have affiliated with a bunch. Talking to the independent booksellers gives the same reflection of what you just mentioned, Sabby, which is that that the wealth that they derive is not monetary. The wealth that they derive is putting a book in somebody's hands Mm -hmm. and and having them come back and say, I loved this book and you have inspired me to read this, this, this and this as well. That that is where they get their compensation. And and I I admire them immensely the same way I guess writers do. A number of writers have said to us once I've written the book, it's not mine anymore. It's Mm -hmm. yours. It's the reader's. Uh, I would think that would be a tremendously satisfying thing for them to say. And one of the booksellers that we talked to told us a wonderful story. She put put the old man in the sea in the hands, the Hemingway book, in the hands of an eight-year-old. An eight-year-old. And the eight-year-old came back 10 years later. This was a a resort bookstore. And the kid came back every, every year with his parents, I guess, to vacation here. And he had the book, which was all dog-eared. And he said for 10 years it had been on his bedside table and he had read it and reread it. And she said, oh, can I see it? And he handed it to her and he said, but don't let any of the sand fall out. And she looked at him quizzically and said, sand? And he said, yeah, I thought it would be really cool to take it down and read it on the beach outside Hemingway's home. And he did, he took it to Cuba. And he read it right in the in the shade, in the lee of the Hemingway home. Now that she said is my wealth.
3: One of the things too that we realized, I think, by talking to Oprah and talking to many guests, and I bet you've realized it as well too, is that you can make a devoted reader out of anyone. If when you get them as a child, you can get them a book in which they see themselves represented. It's one of the reasons that I'll fight book banning all day long, because there are so many different kinds of kids out there, and they're looking for themselves. They're looking for the story of themselves, and that will inspire them to be readers their whole life. And Oprah told a great story about she wasn't really a reader until... She read I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings and she opened it up and she saw herself on every page. And that inspired her to be a reader for the rest of her life. I think that's really important for kids. Um, I'm hoping we can do an episode on, on the fight right now to, to keep books um, available to all kids. But kids need to see themselves in books. And that will create a reader out of almost anyone, which makes me really happy.
4: And we talked to the to the proprietor of a bookstore in Chicago. Which basically caters to the LGBTQ community, and 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 that bookseller said to us, it wasn't until you know it was a very brave thing to write a memoir if you were not straight in the ages that that this woman had grown up, and now it's much more common. But she said um, it's really important that that kids who might feel in some way well feel different uh, that they find themselves in that kind of book. And she said as a result, our bookstores is really important. I'm sorry I interrupted
2: you. No, no, no. It's your it's your episode. No, I was just uh, <laughs> I was just going to make a joke like why then I wonder do my kids like dog man? Like why are they seeing themselves in dog man? I don't even like what does that say about them? I don't know. I've My daughter's into
3: Captain Underpants. So right, exact same thing. Yeah, it's like
4: Better than Captain Underpants.
3: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Crazy. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.
2: When you do your podcast, you ask a number of questions to some of your guests. So I wanted to ask them back to you. I don't know if you've had them asked to you. So I'm going to do that. So both of you, what are, and these are, if you listen to the bookcase for listeners of this show, you will hear all these amazing authors like John Irving summarizes his life in five words, which was hilarious and just amazing. Anna Quinlan and Mary Laura Philpott. And it's just so cool. Okay. What is the most influential book in your life? Or what has been the most influential book of your life?
3: A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving. Yeah, in terms of influential,
4: uh, I, I would say Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff. Hmm. It is always interesting to me, that was written about the astronauts and they're having the right stuff. But but the way that that so many industries or businesses or, or networks are pyramidical and, and you sort of start at the bottom and you work your way up to the top. And if you fall off to the side, and you don't have the right stuff, whatever that may be, in whatever business you may be in. Uh, people tend to say, "Well, okay, he didn't make it," you know, and and write him off. And and that's an unfortunate, but it's true in so many different guises in life that you sort of have to rise up to get to the top of the pyramid. And if you fall off the side, nobody has a whole lot of time for you, which I think is sort of unfortunate. I I've just found it a brilliant, brilliant book.
3: Okay, well I. I can't give that many poetic reasons for liking a prayer for Owen Meany, but I can tell you that I reread it every couple of years, and every couple of years it changes, its meaning changes for me. And it was also the first book I think I read where almost after every page I would go, Oh, just because of the writing. I mean, every, I mean, when he says, I am a Christian because of Owen Meany, every time I go, Oh, I mean it's just the way he writes in that book to me is is transcendent. So I I love that book. I know you we were encouraging readers just to read like the first 5 pages or something. You're like you will
2: get it once you read a few pages. So excited for his new book. Favorite time and place to read?
3: After my kids go to bed. <laughs> There's just, I, I, and God love my kids. I love them so much. And I'm so, I mean, they are they are, they are are my reason. They are all my reasons. But that being said, there's just something nice to know that I can read. And at no point, nobody's going to go, mom. Like that's just, there's, there's something wonderful about that.
2: Well, you're lucky because my kids still bother me in the middle of the night. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you win on that front.
4: <laughs> okay. I, I would answer that question. We, my wife and I, I did a lot of traveling when I worked for ABC. And and my wife and I both love to travel, but I've traveled for work. And what I hate to do is to pack and unpack and pack and unpack. So I want to go somewhere and stay there. And my wife wants to go someplace different every day. Mm. So we've gotten into cruising, which is uh, not, it's not inconsiderable in the cost of doing so, but we love that. And And I would say not just a favorite time to read, but place. These, these new cruise ships now, you get a balcony off your cabin. And I, going out, sitting in a chair, looking at the sea as you cruise and reading is, to me, the perfect spot. Oprah described her spot as when it's raining and she opens the door and she's sitting in front of a fire and she's got a dog at her, at the base of her chair and whatever that she said, I do it right.
2: Yeah. And I feel a cashmere throw on her lap or something. Yeah. It's very idyllic. Like Like also too, like that would
3: also be my, like if I could open up the windows in Hawaii and get my non-existent dog and like, ah, I wanted to be in that room with Oprah and just read with her. You can borrow my dog. Well,
4: well, I'm I'm telling you being on a cruise ship, sitting on a, sitting on your terrace and looking at the sea and reading is just, it's, it's perfect.
2: Okay, do you have it, a, do you have a cruise line or like something? I feel like there's so many options that I wouldn't even know where to start in getting it in doing a cruise.
4: Well, if they'd sponsor the podcast, I'd mention the two that we love.
2: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, any yeah, cruise lines crazy. out there, if you would like to sponsor these two podcasts, we'll take a big, fun bookish cruise together. <laughs>
4: But Re- Regent Cruise Line down in Fort Lauderdale, I think it is. We'd love to have you sponsor the podcast. <laughs>
2: okay, Silver Seas. Are you uh, listening? <laughs> uh, okay, favorite children's book. Oh,
4: without a doubt, without a doubt, because it's my—I think it's my favorite book in the world, uh, *Charlotte's Web*. And right behind that, I, I think everybody has a copy of *Goodnight Moon*. I would put that on the list. And then one that we're going to actually get into in, in the in the next GMA spot we do which is uh, Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, which I love.
2: I love that too. I just um, did an I, Instagram post and ended it, hashtag even in Australia.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, even in Australia was actually a phrase in my house. We said it a lot. I loved Eloise because I was a, a pain in the A and she was a pain in the A. And um, and so I always saw myself in that book. I loved, loved, loved that book. But Charlotte's Web was also a big one for me. Most of E.B. White, you know, Stuart Little, Trumpet of the Swan. I was just, I was a fan. And then I also really, really loved James and the Giant Peach.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Awesome. Ebook or audiobook? Book. Book. Book, book, book. But I do I do I do since I since I started doing this I also do audiobooks obsessively so if I'm not reading my book um and I'm folding laundry or I'm making my bed or I'm whatever I'm listening to an audiobook and I generally try to listen to it at time and a half which means I can absorb more books
4: But I but and while I think the answer is easy to that it's book when you're traveling when I'm out on that terrace on the ship I've got a Kindle in my lap because it it is made reading on a, on when you travel so much easier. And also that's interesting. I, I think there's an interesting psychology, Kate, which I think would be sort of fun to explore in one of the podcasts, which is it's easier to buy books on a Kindle. And you will if if you might go into a bookstore and you get three in your hands and you think, oh, gracious you know i've got 50 dollars with the books in my hand or 60 or whatever and then you get on a kindle and it's kind of easy and you just keep and so there's a whole lot of books on my kindle it's like
3: disney isn't it they don't let you spend money anymore they just give you a wristband so you're like, this is so magical. I'm not paying for anything. And then at the end, they hand you all the paperwork and you're like, oh, whoops, I I, I don't. I, I've tried an e-reader. I have. Um, my parents gave me one. Um, my husband would love it when we moved from New York. He had to pack up all the books and take them with us. But I just it's not me. I like pages. I like knowing where I am in the pages. So going on vacation, um, my husband knows he has to leave almost half a suitcase for me if it's long. I think our husbands, our husbands have to talk.
4: <laughs> and Kate's bookcase is her biography. She yes. lines books in the order she reads them in her bookcase, and she can look and realize what age she was when she read that and what was going on in her life, etc. cetera. I, I'm not nearly that organized, but it's an interesting way to approach reading. It's
3: that. the only OCD thing I do. <laughs> Favorite character in literature?
4: Oh, I, 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 I'd go along with Kate on that. I'd say Owen Meany, fascinating character, really interesting character.
3: And I've got a very distinct voice for him in my head. I talked to an interview once who said to me, I asked John Irving to do the voice. And my first reaction was, oh, God, I hope he didn't do it. And the interview said he didn't do it. And I was like, yeah, because I I have a very distinct voice. Charlotte also, Charlotte and Wilbur are also right up there for me. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Then you have you ask people what's the most revered book you read and didn't like? Isn't that your question? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
4: Cause I have a very I have a very specific book in mind. I had a great professor actually in, in at Princeton who uh, taught a course in the English novel. We started with Pamela and we went right up through the Alexandria Quartet. And we sp- he was a he was a, a Joycean scholar and we spent three weeks on Ulysses. <laughs> Ulysses. I,
3: Ulysses, see, you it, blocked it out. You blocked it, it out. out Ulysses.
4: Nine, blocked it out. We spent three weeks on Ulysses, and I hated it. I hated it. And I he kept talking about the predominant color in each chapter, in it that, and I didn't get any of it. I just I thought it was a terrible... Anyway, and it's supposed to lead the great English novel. So actually, one of the things I want to do is have a podcast with a debate among English professors about, about whether or not this book really is as worthy as so many of them say and revere. But I feel that maybe that's a little, I don't know, is that too highbrow, Kate, to do? No,
3: that? I think actually I want to do Ulysses. I want to do Don Quixote, which I did not understand. Uh, uh, everybody from Spain, my apologies. I know Cervantes is a, is, a, is a big deal. I didn't get Don Quixote. And over the over the pandemic, I read Infinite Jest. Amazing. I read Infinite Jest. I'll just say that. I read Infinite Jest. <laughs> I read it. <laughs> Great. And I, I, I almost feel like I should get that tattooed on my arm. I read Infinite Jest and then put the date. All respect to David Foster Wallace, who was clearly a brilliant, brilliant man. But um, that book was,
2: I read it. I'll make you a, t- I'll make you a T-shirt. How about yeah. that? You can just yeah. wear it when you're feeling, mm-hmm. you're, you know, mm-hmm. less than in, in some way. Mm-hmm. I know we're almost out of time and we could talk books all day, but I know our shared mission is to help people connect through books, keep reading, not be so distracted by the 8 million things, including devices and so many things that are vying for our attention. What can we do? What are you, What aside from podcasting and trying to proselytize ourselves, do you think there's anything else we can do or that other people who, are, who love to read can do to, to make reading as exciting as, as we feel it is?
3: Well, I'll start because I know my father is going to be more articulate than I am. But I just, for me, I think that you, you use the right word there. We live in an economy of attention. I think right now, advertisers, everybody's trying to get your attention. That's what's being monetized these days. And I think also we did a, a piece with Azar Nafisi on the show. Uh, she wrote a book called Reading Dangerously, and. I think what she is saying, and I think it's really important, is we are not a country that is very good at talking to each other right now. We're incredibly divided and we're not challenging ourselves by reading. And we really should be because it is by humanizing the other that we can understand the other We can have empathy for the other. and We can sympathize for the other. So I think this country needs to do more of it. But that's more of me on my soapbox. In terms of making it more exciting, you can go anywhere in a book and it costs you almost nothing. It costs you the price of a library card. So I can't. It's it's an addiction for me.
4: Azrin was a very interesting interview. I don't think many people have read that book, but she wrote a book called Reading Lolita in Tehran which was a subversive act at the time that she had a little reading group doing it. And she believes, she quotes uh, Nabokov, or Nabokov, I never know how to pronounce his name, in her book, Reading Dangerously, in saying that imagination is the first step toward, what is it, Kate? How was that? I'm missing the quote. Imagination.
3: Subversion. I think it's some portion of ver- subversion, rebellion, something like that.
4: Right. and 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 she believes you do that through fiction that that really opens your mind to other ideas because nonfiction is wedded to fact and fiction will really open your mind and get you thinking differently. I think that's a very powerful argument. And, and I don't, you know, I, we say with this podcast, you're, you're not going to read every book we talk about, but if we just get you to think, oh, gee, that sounds interesting. Or, oh, if we get you to think that author is really smart, and they all are they're so smart in what they do and as i say i have no greater respect for any craft beside writing over writing i just think writers are the most important people in in many respects in our society so it's a, it is a privilege to talk to them and kate talks about all the writers that we talk to who are of whom she is a fan i'm a fan of all of them if you if you can sit down and and have the discipline to write and have the mind that is expansive enough to come up with something that will interest somebody for 250, 300 pages. More power to you.
3: Or in the case of John's latest book, 892 pages.
4: Yeah, John's, 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 John Irving's latest book is called The Last Chairlift. Comes out, I think, in October. Uh, Kate and I are reading it at the moment. It's it's almost 900 pages. John, John, John. <laughs> Put down the <laughs> pan. <laughs> My wife has a my wife has a, an expression that if you can't say it in five hundred pages, don't say it. Uh, I don't. I don't know.
2: I love it. Well, thank you both so much for coming on Mom's Stone Time to read books. Thank you for having me as a guest on the bookcase, which I am just so honored to be among the highly esteemed other writers who I adore. Um, many of whom have been on this podcast too, and it's yeah. just so wonderful to talk to such like minded book enthusiasts, so that collectively we can all. Keep the excitement going and you know, like, I don't know, balls in the air, right? Just well, it's, like. an, it's an
4: interesting thing that you're doing, Zibby, and then we are as well. If you're a reader and if you really love reading, then why are you going to take time out to listen to a podcast? <laughs> because you, you know, why aren't you reading? But but if if I, I go back to that idea, if you can get people to say, Oh, well, that's something I hadn't thought about before. Yes. I have a good friend after the John Irving interview, he said, you know, I've been for the last 30 years, I've been reading nothing but nonfiction. But uh, you really got me interested in John. And so I've read uh, Prayer for Owen Meany. I read uh, uh, World According to Garp. And now I just finished uh, Last Night in Twisted River. And he said, I loved it. And I think you've changed my reading habits. You've opened up a new world to me. So if you can do that, maybe that's our wealth. Maybe that's our wealth.
3: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having us on. My pleasure. And I love the podcast. I look forward to more.
4: You're doing a good job, but you're doing it every
3: day. (laughs) He really, (laughs) he can't get over that. He can't Um, get over that. After we talked to you the other day, he calls me up and he's like, every day.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, this is an interview. You can see how I could do this over and over again. This
3: is a piece of cake. Thank you so much, Debbie. Take care.
2: You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.